0: That's right, well, I I might do it to both, but anyway. Uh, It is good to be here, and uh, today we are going to talk about the covenant that David and Jonathan had together. And so I've kind of called this one a covenant between friends. And uh, there's going to be a reason for that. We're going to bring up Israel here again today as well uh, at the end. And you're going to get to meet the guide that we had when we went to Israel, Ron Elberg and uh, I've had the privilege of being able to talk with him a number of times uh, since we have been back, and uh, he is just growing in his faith and um, is excited. He's got uh, a group of about 40, 42 people that are listening to some messages from back here um, and are just growing while uh, so few Jewish people over there are. chasing after yeshua jesus that they don't know that their savior has come and he has a heart to to let them know this and that there is a covenant that god has made with them that he has um fulfilled in yeshua and they don't know that and so we're going to talk about that today and as i was kind of going over this again and changing some things i I thought i don't know if uh, i have shared some of this with you before or not but um, the text that uh, Sean had sent me, that you guys are in 1 Samuel uh, 19 and 20, that we, uh, it, it's like you cannot not talk about this, in my opinion. So uh, we're going to begin with a word of prayer, and we'll start from there. Heavenly Father, uh, what a privilege it is to, to share your word, to come and worship you, to, to have the fellowship of believers. God, I just pray that as we leave today that you would be getting all the glory, that we would be able to see what love you have given us, that it wouldn't just be words, that it wouldn't just be a doctrine, but that it would be life for us, that it would be who we are, and that it would change the way we we think this week. Throughout our lives, that we would not live in fear, that we would not live in confusion, but that we would live in truth, in peace, in joy, in the promises that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to start here, and I want to show you that in archaeology, archaeology has uh, just. Uh, it's a lovely thing to help us understand Scripture, uh, some of the deeper um, truths. Not doctrines. We don't get doctrine from archaeology. We don't, we don't let history interpret Scripture or any of that. But we do get some of the things when we understand the Bible. Archaeology does help some of these things come alive. And uh, I want to talk about a covenant. We have found in archaeology historical evidence of how covenants were made way back in the time of Abraham. Now, frankly, I believe that what we're finding in archaeology is because people took what God had already shown them and were copying that. But bottom line is this is what we can read in archaeology. The first thing is, is that you would basically take off your coat. And I, I'm actually not going to go through all of these, but you can just see them listed. There are nine steps that were done in even secular arc, uh, covenants that we see from archaeology. right. Now, I'm going to go through each one of these, so I'm not going to go through them now, but uh, just to show you that there are these nine steps. The first one here is to take off the coat. And when you would take off your coat to make a covenant or a promise with somebody else, now, by the way, how many parties does it take to make a covenant? At least two. Right? You have to have two to make a covenant. Now, there, we're going to come back to that a little bit. But, bottom line is, is that they would exchange coats. You would take off your coat and give it to the person that you were making a covenant with. They would take off their coat and give it to you. And, bottom line, it is something that was basically saying, I am giving myself to you. A coat back then was very important. It's not like us today where we can just throw them around, it was a very important thing. And so it was giving something that was very special to the other person, very important to you. It, 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 it illustrated an aspect of trust. The second thing is, is they would take off the belt. Because you see, a belt today, it just holds up our britches. But back then, it had no purpose in holding our britches up. It had everything to do with holding up your weapons. It was what you would tuck in your thing when you needed to move. It was what would hold your sword, your knife, your dagger, those kinds of things. And so the belt was very different than what we view a belt as today. But in a sense, when you would give them your belt, you were saying, I have no weapons against you. And it was also basically saying that we, I will fight for you, and you will fight for me. Anybody comes after you, they're going to have to talk to me. That kind of imagery. Third thing is that you had to cut a covenant. And what would they would do is that they would split animals in two, and this might sound familiar to you, split them in two, and then the blood would go and run into a trench that you would dig in between those two animals. And then each party would lift up their little robe and basically walk through this bloody trench, getting all blood off of their feet and all of this kind of stuff. But it was basically saying this, that if I break my covenant, my promise that I'm making with you, what we have just done to these animals, you can do to me or I'll do to you. So there was death involved, and it was a blood covenant. The next thing is, is we see that they would raise their right arm, just much like what we would do in court today. We still see some of these things going on. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? You raise up your right arm, and but in addition to just having this swear, that they would cut their arm, sometimes on their wrist, sometimes up here. Uh, it would be... Uh, anywhere but it was basically the goal to leave a scar and why well because that scar was going to be a symbol to that hey I've made a covenant with you we are now blood brothers and in some senses this was a very scary thing because people in the past I am told from what I've read they would meet people and they would see all of these scars, these covenants. It's like, gee whiz, if I hurt him, I'm going to have a whole tribe coming after me. Because each one of those scars represented somebody that would get, uh, would avenge my blood. Or I should say their blood. And so this was a pretty serious thing as well. Next thing is, is that they would exchange names. That they would take the name of the other person because we have become one. Finally then, or not finally, but on this slide anyway, they would uh, make a scar, as we kind of talked about, and then give terms of the covenant. And those terms of the covenant would say, okay, well, this is what I expect from you, this is what you expect from me, and it was written down and laid out so that it was very clear what the covenant was. Now, the eighth thing was, after all of this was done, There was a meal that was uh, made, and they would eat bread and usually wine together. I think you can kind of see where this is going, and then finally they would often plant a memorial tree that was a witness that would stay there for years to come, and every time people would see that tree, they would know what had happened there. Now, we can see this many times throughout Scripture. Uh, For example, if you recall when Jacob was fleeing from Laban. Remember, Laban came after him, and he says, let's make a covenant, let's make a deal that, you know, you're not going to cross this line to come after me. I won't cross this line to go after you. This was not really a covenant between friends. This was a peace treaty. But we see some of the same things going on, where, if you recall, they ate a meal. All right? Um, <coughs> there's different aspects of that that you can see as you go back and look at it. But what I want to do is get into more a covenant between friends here today. So I'm going to take you, uh, even though our text is really coming from uh, 1 Samuel 20, to understand this, we're going to need to jump around to some other scriptures. And so I'm going to take you first to Genesis chapter 15, because this is one of the first covenants that we see um, where this is laid out. And it was the covenant God made with Abraham. Now, I know we already had a Noahic covenant prior to this. I believe there was even an Adamic uh, covenant with Adam. But here, this is a little different. This is the time that God comes to Abraham. And we see in Genesis 15, it says, uh, basically what's going on here is God has just made Abram a promise. And so, as a result of this promise, he's going to make a covenant, almost like a contract to seal this promise to make sure that it's legit. Here's what he says. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know what you just promised me? That I will gain possession of it, the promised land. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away as the sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So we see an aspect of what we see in archaeology right here in Scripture. God says, Abraham's saying, how do I know? And he says, here, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going I'm to make a tangible promise to you. And he says, go get these animals. They cut them in half, and the blood is in this trench. Now, I'm going to give you a little bonus here that I find very interesting. If you go read in Genesis 15 through 17, you're going to see this covenant talked about. Do you know that it always says this? God says, this is my covenant to you. My covenant. You will never see this being called Abram's covenant. We call it Abraham's covenant or the Abrahamic covenant. This is God's covenant to Abraham. In other words, this is his promise to Abraham. All Abraham is asking, you made me a promise. How do I know you won't break it? And here's God's response to it. So much so that when Abram fell in a deep sleep, we see that... um, These birds of prey are going to come. And Abram is going to try and chase them off. And this is why God puts Abram in a deep sleep. I think the reason is this. Now, when we look in Scripture, birds are almost always a picture of evil, demonic things. You know, the parable of the sower talks about that the the seed that is thrown and birds come and steal it away. They eat it off of the path. This is what Jesus even says. That's a picture of the devil and his demons. Uh, We even see the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, I I frankly think that has been taught wrong in churches for years. We always see the parable of the mustard seed. Oh, the kingdom of God is this little beautiful thing and it's going to grow up to be even a more beautiful thing. Uh Uh-uh. The parable of mustard seed is this. You've got this little tiny thing, and what's going to happen is it's going to grow. The church is going to grow, and then birds are going to come. The devil is going to come and corrupt the church. Yeast is the same way. Yeast is a picture of bad things, and we see in Scripture what the kingdom of God is like yeast mixed into a batch of dough. You see, what it's saying is exactly what Scripture says in other places, that in the end times, the church is going to come become very corrupt. Filled with false teachings, false doctrine. The birds are going to come and rest. But my point here is this. The birds are coming, and Abraham tries to chase them away, and God says, no, you don't. Go to sleep. Why? Because Abraham has nothing to do with this covenant. This is all God's doing. And I think that, frankly, is what I see, anyway, God saying here. God is saying, no, this is my covenant, my promise to you, and you have nothing to put into it. Now, we'll come back to that a little bit later, but as it goes on here in verse 14, the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But... I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Notice this. There are bad things going to happen, but what am I going to do because they do something to you? I am going to come and punish them. Somebody goes against you, they're going to have to deal with me. That's what we see going on here, right? And it goes on in verse 15. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Notice it does not say Abram made a covenant with God. And it said and said to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now this blazing pot seems to be God that goes through. Remember I said that you dug a trench, the blood went in there, and both parties would go through. Did Abraham walk through? He did not. Only God goes through, because God is saying, this is mine for you. Abraham had no part in this. Now there's a reason God made this covenant with Abraham and that is because Abraham was a friend of God. We see that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it was because of his belief that God says, now I am going to make a promise to you. So when the actual covenant is cut, only God has a part of it. But there's a reason God makes this covenant with Abraham. Well, we're going to jump to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to start getting into the text that you guys have been looking at here. And what it says here is this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Does that mean something to you now? Otherwise you think, that's just weird. (laughs) Right? Hey, man, we're just best friends. Here, I'm going to give you my coat, my belt, and my tunic. and It just doesn't make much sense unless you understand that there's something spiritual going on here. And... You're going to see more as we continue. But this is the first time Jonathan makes this covenant with David. It continues in 1 Samuel 20, verse 13. He says, but if my father intends to harm you, because we know that Saul was getting very jealous of David, right? They were singing, Saul has killed the thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And so as a result, Saul is envious of David. And Saul wants to kill him. But Jonathan can't say, my dad's not going to kill you. I just can't believe that. He loves you. Well, he says, but if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan has made a covenant with David. They're best friends. And now he's saying, but I have an enemy, your father. And Jonathan doesn't want to believe it, but he says, but if he is your enemy... I will protect you, because we've made a covenant. And he says, but remember your covenant. Since we made a covenant, when you become king, because Jonathan knows he's going to become king, David is going to become king, he says, don't cut me off. Show me kindness. Remember the covenant that we have made. Verse 16 continues, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. I hate to even bring it up, but I think it's important to understand in such a crooked and depraved world that we live in here today that the homosexual community tries to twist this and say that there may have been a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David. No, this is what we call brotherly love. This is what God wants us to have as a church. He wants us to be so close that we here are best of friends that we can trust each other. That we would love one another as we love ourselves. Well, there's all kinds of things we could talk about that, but like I said, there's absolutely no truth to that. We we see both were married, all of that as well. But anyway, verse 42, jumping down to that, it says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship. We have made a covenant with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Remember, Part of that covenant was you had to basically give the terms of the covenant. This is what we see happening. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, jumping ahead to the next book, it says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. You're going to be learning about this. Because what's going to happen is Jonathan is going to die, Saul is going to die, the Philistines are going to kill them in battle, and and it's a very sad day for David when this happens. And so then David ends up becoming king, and when he is king, this is what happens. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel when they fell in battle. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as he hurried, or she hurried to leave, he fell, or she fell, both of them did, and he became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. And so here is Jonathan's son, who is now a cripple. Saul is king and Mephibosheth has grown up. 2 Samuel 9.1, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Verse 4, Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. I've kind of skipped some verses here, as you can see. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So here we see David being faithful to the covenant that he had made with his best friend. And he said, I'm not only going to protect David, but we we had some terms of the covenant. Jonathan had asked me not only to, to protect me, but his offspring. And so David is now being faithful to that. And I love Mephibosheth's response too. Who am I? Does that sound familiar? David had that same attitude because of the covenant God has made with him. Who am I, O God, that you should look at me and and, and give me all of these things? Who am I? Maybe that's how we feel today. Why would God love us so much? Who are we? We're just these little peons that keep screwing up. Right? Right? We'll come back to that. So, what I want to do, you've seen that there is clearly a covenant that's going on here between friends. But I think that it's more than just an archaeological fact or more than just a covenant between friends. This is a picture because David is a Christ figure of a covenant that God has made with his friend, the church, his bride. You see, the first thing, we're gonna go back and kind of dissect these a little bit more, that taking off of the coat. Do we see this with God and the covenant that he has made with us, his bride? Well, absolutely we do. We read that in scripture here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse four, through these he, God, has given us his very great and precious promises. You might say a covenant. A promise, right? So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, Jesus exchanged coats with us. He gave us His divine nature to wear while He took our sinful nature and bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might... Be forgiven. We have exchanged natures. Uh, I think, is it Colossians? I'm forgetting now where it says that we now share, we have the divine nature of God. Maybe I've got it coming. I don't remember. But bottom line, Isaiah 61 also says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels God has clothed us with garments of righteousness and he has now given us so that we might share in his divine glory because he took our sinful nature bore our sins on that cross we see the next thing the taking off of the belt he's gonna fight for us anybody attacks you it's an attack against me we see even in the covenant what does God say he says anyone who blesses you will be blessed those who curse you will be cursed and where does that curse come from from God God will not stand for someone attacking the Lord's anointed that's what David was right? I apparently have my phone silenced, but not uh, Bluetooth. I don't know how all that stuff works, so I'm dinging here. Anyway, um, Ephesians six fourteen through 18, I want you to see that God has given us his belt. He has given us his armor. He has given us everything we need that he defends us with. His word. Look, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness of that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is why, way back when that covenant was made with Abraham, We see, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Here's my belt. I am your protection, your very great reward. And I love that shield. I'll tell you something, it is time, church, for you to pick up that shield. You know, some translations, better ones, really say, above all, take up the shield of faith. Above all these things, it's not what we can throw, it's not what we can shoot, it's what we pick up and we can defend. Now, it's not just a defense weapon either. I'll tell you what, you you do searching on that, the shield was a very offensive weapon as well as a defensive weapon. But pick up that shield of faith, walk in faith. It was Abraham's faith that declared him righteous, wasn't it? And we need to be walking in faith here today. That's a whole message in itself. I won't go down that road anymore. Third thing, cutting a covenant. We saw that Abraham did that, right? Or you know, cut the animals in half and so on. God passes through. Well, I think that was just a picture of an ultimate covenant that would be cut down the road where Christ would hang on that cross and become that ultimate sacrifice as his body was broken for you. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, it says this, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Just like with Abraham, Abraham had nothing to do with that covenant. Let me tell you something, folks, you have nothing to do with this one either. God did it all. Every bit of it. He was the one who was able to save completely those who come to God. Those who you might say are friends of God. God made a covenant with Abraham because he was a friend of God. God has made a covenant with you because he's a friend of you. I'll tell you something, if you're not a friend of God, this covenant is not for you. It will only bring curses. You become an enemy of the friend of God. And there is a day where you will be punished. Eternally, in fact. But God has made a promise to you. The next thing, raising the right arm and mixing of blood, right? Well, that's exactly what Christ did. He raised His arms as He hung on that cross. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us when He put on our coat. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Blood was shed. Now, again, in the secular world, both would do shed the blood. We don't have to shed our blood, but yet it's not out of the expectation. In Hebrews it says, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are not to be those Christians who shrink back from death, that that we fear deaths. No, we need to fear God so that you don't fear deaths. This whole COVID stuff, I see all kinds of people, and maybe I'm speaking to some of you here, who are COVID crazy, fearful. Get over it. And maybe that's offensive, but it's biblical. Get over it. You are not to fear COVID. You are to fear God. And when you fear God, I'll tell you something, you're going to find a peace in everything else in your life. We are not to live in fear. We are not those who shrink back and are afraid, but we are those who stand up and will not shrink back from death at all. We are not to be afraid. We are to go out. Right now is a time to be going to talking to all these people who are fearful and telling them you don't need to be afraid because there is a Savior who has made a covenant with you. That's the opportunity that God has given us now. But we're so busy hiding and shrinking back that we're not out there boldly, boldly proclaiming. Get out and proclaim the good news. Well, Exchanging names. You know, after this covenant, what happened? Abram became Abraham at the moment of this covenant. There was an exchanging of names. We also see as well in James chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Are you called God's friend? You know what it takes to be called God's friend? Abraham believed God. And when he believed God, he obeyed God. Don't get me wrong, I'll tell you what, we have this false theology out there, oh just believe God, believe in Jesus and you're going to heaven. No. Do you know who else believes in God and is not getting to heaven? Satan. You see, belief comes with action, and that is what Abraham's actions worked, you know, with his faith. This is why I I was here, I talked about your identity in Christ here, uh, maybe a year or two ago, I don't remember, but I said, remember Jesus even goes to these DNA, um, descendants of, of, of Abraham, Jews. And he says, you are not a Jew. You're a child of your father, the devil. If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Right? Yet, these were DNA people who claimed to believe in God, all of that kind of thing. No, there is, listen, if you are a friend of God, you believe in God, and because you believe in God, you're following God. You're doing what he says. Not to earn anything. You can't earn anything. You have no part in the covenant. God took care of that. Romans 9.26 says, It will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. These people who did not have the name of God attached to them now get the name of God because the covenant is theirs. We see... Exchanging that name as well, Romans 8, verse 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Or how about Revelation 3, verse 12 to be very poignant it says him to him who overcomes I will make a pillar in the temple of my God never again will he leave it I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven for from my God and I will also write on him my new name You see guys he has given us his name even right now We bear the name of the covenant. Remember, it says in Antioch, they were first called Christians in Antioch. Let me tell you something. If you're going to bear that name, you better bear it proudly, and you better uh, be responsible with that name. You see, the word Christian, as you know, is Christ in. If you're going to wear the name of Christ then you have a responsibility to bear that name properly. I don't want you calling yourself a Christian if you're out there going and, and, and you're living a life in unrepentant sin, declaring homosexuality to be just fine, okay? N- saying there's, there's nothing wrong with abortion or whatnot. Don't, don't tell anybody that you're a Christian, please. Just this week I was talking to somebody who hasn't been to church in 20 years. You know why? Because of the hypocrites in the church. And I'll bet you've all met people like that. I'll bet some of you are just like those people who I was talking about who haven't, you didn't come to church for years and years and years because you know the people in the church. And you know that they don't bear the name of Christian like they should. And that kept you from coming to church. So please, don't call yourself a Christian because that name is a serious thing a covenant is a very serious thing and you don't take that wearing of his name lightly. Now, just to clarify, just in case any of you are going there, remember, Christianity is not based on how good you can be. Hey, I'll tell you what, there are times I do not wear that name Christian very well myself. Okay, but I repent. I hate the sin that I do. Even Paul, this great apostle, said, Who can rescue me from this body of death? The good that I want to do, I do not do. That which I hate, I keep on doing. Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, my Lord. So I'm not talking about that you don't ever do anything wrong. Of course you do. I'm talking about you better have the right attitude when you do something wrong. And know that there's one who has taken that covenant for you. That has exchanged coats with you. That that's not who you are. You now wear a coat of a divine nature. That you participate in the divine nature of Christ. Then making a scar. Genesis 15, which I showed you, we see that there was a covenant made. In Genesis 17, God says, Now... As a result of this covenant, you are to circumcise your children at eight days old. And you yourself are to be circumcised. And all the foreigners in your home that are under your covenant are to be circumcised. There is going to be a scar that is going to be made as a testimony to the world. And that's exactly what we see in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. It says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Just like Abraham was marked with this covenant, we even see in Colossians chapter two, it says we have now been uh, circumcised, not by the hands of men, but circumcised through baptism. You are marked. And then we read things like this, that you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Guys, I'll tell you something, when you have the Holy Spirit, that is a mark of God. There are people that I can go and meet, and and in five minutes I can tell you, this guy, he has the mark. He has the mark. And then there are other people It's like, man, I don't know if he's marked or not, I just can't tell, I need more time. I love meeting those people where the Spirit is just, boom, man, he's he's got the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us. That is when He makes that covenant, remember I said, I'm giving my all to you. We belong to Him, and He belongs to me. We become heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing What is to come. There's a day coming. He's coming back. You know, a deposit is what you put down. Okay, You come back to pick up what you're paid for. Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. He has left His Holy Spirit. He is coming back. And He's going to claim what is His. You. Me. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I just got... I can't wait, folks. I'm just going to move on. Give terms of the covenant. John 14, 15, 16, here are the terms. Just like Jonathan, just like whatever he says, here's the covenant. Okay, You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do this. You're going to protect my family. Whatever. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, there are terms of this covenant. You can't just say, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I want that. I'll take that. Now I'm going to go live my life the way I want to live it. No, if you're Abraham's children, you do what Abraham did. Likewise, if you are under this covenant, I'm telling you, there are terms. That is the very meaning of a contract and a covenant, is there are two people. Even though God said, this is my promise to you, because there's nothing you can do to make that covenant, there is something that you do that shows that you belong to that covenant. 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Okay, anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Guys, do do you have sin in your heart right now where you are holding a grudge against one of your brothers in Christ? I'll tell you what, I do a lot of counseling with people. You know what the number one thing is in counseling that I see that causes people to be depressed and have a multitude of problems? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I'm telling you, if you have hate in your heart against a brother because of whatever the reason, maybe they've wronged you. Maybe you just don't like the way they eat. Whatever it is... He says, if you say, I love God, yet you hate your brother, you're a liar. You've deceived yourself. You need to go take care of that. You need to repent, and you need to go to your brother and say, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how they receive it. It doesn't matter even if they continue to hate you. You better not hate them. See, this is just one of many terms of the covenant that we could talk about. But I'm telling you something. You know that old phrase... That this bitterness and hatred—it's it's basically like giving, uh, you know, you drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. There is no bigger truth than that when it comes to unforgiveness. You are in a cage, and and you are are, are only hurting yourself. I have seen freedom come from so many people who, when they forgive those that they have been holding this this hatred towards. That freedom comes to them almost immediately. There are terms to the covenant. First John five verses two and four also says this. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God, and carrying out His commands. By the way, folks, this is New Testament. Okay, this is love for God to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. You know when God's commands are burdensome? When you're not under the covenant. When you're doing it, when you're trying to put your two cents, and when you're trying to pass through that uh, trench, That's when God's commands are burdensome. When you're trying to do things so that you can earn your right in this covenant, so that you can put your two cents into the covenant, it becomes very burdensome. And you will wear yourself out like that, trying to obey God. When God's commands are not burdensome is when they become on your heart, so that it is a joy. Do you remember doing things for your mom and dad? Because you knew it pleased them? It gave you great joy, right? That's how it should be for us. When we obey God's commands, it brings us joy to honor our Father. So the very same action, the very same command, thou shalt not steal, can be a burden for one person because oh, I, just, I, I have no money, I have nothing, blah, blah, or it can be a joy to the other. That's how God's commands do not become burdensome. This is what God has been saying in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, He talks about this new covenant. But I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of David. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers who disobeyed long ago. This is the covenant I will make with them. I will take my law and I will put them in their hearts and in their minds. He didn't get rid of the covenant. He didn't get rid of the law. He moved it from stone to a heart. He made it from a burden to a joy. That's the difference. When you are under the covenant, you realize I can do nothing. He did it all. Oh, Because He loved me, I want to now love and serve Him. Everyone born of God overcomes the world, It said. Eating a memorial meal. Well, that one's obvious, isn't it? Communion. Jesus said to him in John chapter 6, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My blood, flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. God has left us a memorial meal that we are to do because of the covenant that he has made with us. The last one, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, planting a tree. Well, there is a tree that is planted. I believe that that tree of life in the Garden of Eden was Yeshua Jesus. And... We also see in Revelation, it says, Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life. And it says, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads there's that name again there's a tree that's been planted that will be eternal forever and ever and ever as a sign of that covenant you want to see what it looks like to be a friend of Jesus I want to show you a short clip of a video that Ron Elberg, this guide that we had in Israel Uh, What he sent to me. It's a 14 minute video. I've just knocked out two minutes of it for you. But I want you to see. What a friend of Jesus looks like. Go ahead and play
1: this. To boost up. Our following. To boost up. Our following. In Jesus. Yeshua. Mashiach when I just say his name Yeshua I feel the might of his name Wow I I cannot describe this feeling the only thing that is comparable is if you've ever seen is when you go to a synagogue a traditional Jewish synagogue and they bring out the Torah scroll in those big rounded jackets with those ornaments, decorations on top of them. And the beautiful pomegranates made from silver and crowns on them and little bells. And, and you just touch it. You feel something with side inside because that's the word of God. But when you hold it, wow, you feel like one ton is crushing you it's a heavy thing it can weigh even 50 60 pounds but emotionally it's way more but Jesus is the Torah Jesus is the Word of God and he's in us all the time so just saying his name wow overwhelming it's, it's a good It's a feeling of being crushed, squeezed with love. I cannot describe it. Even talking about it makes me emotional. So I think that we are on the defense, and Christianity needs to do.
0: He wasn't, he was just talking.
1: He was just talking about other things.
0: And then when he said Yeshua. Wow. Does his name do that for you? Or have we become so numb to what he has done for us. That it's just another name. Don't let that happen. Let that crushing of his love. Knowing the covenant that he has made. What he did on that cross for you just crush you today with love. That's what a friend of Jesus looks like. To love Jesus, to even say his name, to bring that kind of emotion. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we are in need of you. Thank you for the promises that you've given us. Thank you for doing it all for us. Lord, we ask that you would just overwhelm us with the truth of your love, the truth of this covenant, that it not be just words, but that it be life for us. And we just ask that you would bring unity to the body of Christ again, that the truth of your word and the truth of your love bind us together. We pray this in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. Amen.